0: We're thinking about uh, measuring today a little bit. People are all measuring all the time. And when you think about it, so much of life rests on measurements. I mean, obviously, hobbies and interests, people can can, can do all their research. They can, they can fi- tell you all sorts of facts about the things that they love doing. And uh, whether or not that's interesting to you, well, I'll leave that, you know, you can decide. But... Control scientists, what are they doing half the time? They're measuring. Why? To control things, energy, particles, materials. They're they're testing, they're measuring. You and I do it almost without thinking a lot of the time when we compare ourselves to other people for good or ill. We can compare to him, to her. We might feel better or worse depending on how we do it, or why. And I don't need to tell some of you young people that schools seem to enjoy measuring you all the time. Exams, tests, SATs, oh, man, it just goes on and on and on. I'm surprised you ever have any time to learn anything, because you're always being examined. Every time you buy something, well, maybe every time, unless you're an impulse buyer, Don't you look at the reviews? Ooh, 4.6 out of 5. And then you look at all the one-star reviews and think, this is rubbish. Perhaps for security, you might measure your bank account. How much money does one man need? Just a little more, apparently. And of course, well, how do you measure sanity? I mean, people are measuring... The body count in Ukraine, aren't they? And thinking, when is somebody going to see sense? Maybe if the ruble crashes. How do you persuade a tyrant that enough is enough? Everywhere you look, that's just a few examples. Life is about measuring, measuring runs through all that we do. So, what do we do when we meet someone or something that cannot be measured? What do you do then? Verse 28. Have you not known, have you not heard the everlasting God? Then there's a lot more in here we'll look at. Behold, a God that you and I cannot measure. He will outlast your atomic clocks. He will beat all our Olympic medals. Look, he doesn't grow weary or tired. And he passes all our exams. His understanding is unsearchable. I wonder, have you thought about the infinity of God lately? Now, don't worry. This is not a maths lesson. Perhaps you you feel scared when we talk about God in these terms. Infinite. A god That I can't understand. You should feel scared. But you should also feel very, very excited. And perhaps comforted, reassured. I think we'll see all of this as we look at this passage. But I want to present to you a God who you and I cannot contain in the tiny prison of our mind or imagination. A God who is. Bigger than us. A God we cannot tame. But a God who knows all about us. And maybe you're not a believer. Maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you're not sure. You have questions, don't you? You have questions about who are you? Why am I here? What is life all about? You must do. Whether or not you vocalise them. You're looking for answers. You only will find them in a God who is beyond all measuring because only he has the answers. As we'll see, I hope. To know this God who cannot be measured is to find the measure of ourselves. So what are we going to look at? Just a few things. I think four main things today. First of all, notice this God... He is beyond measure, so he measures us. He is beyond measure, so he measures us. Verses 12 to 17. And verse 12 says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? And it has lots of questions, all asking the the same thing. Who? Who measured? Who calculated? Who stretched out the ruler when heaven was created? Who's weighed the mountains? Who's directed the spirit? Who guided God? And the answer for all of these things is no one. No one taught God. No one helped him. No one held the ruler. No one carried his bricks. No one, because he needed no one. Maybe you've done a job once. Maybe you were doing some DIY or something and somebody offered to help. Now, some people's help is more helpful than others, isn't it? Perhaps if you were to say, well, don't ask me because I'll be a hindrance. Welcome to God's world. He doesn't need you or me. He doesn't need us. He's beyond us. And yet, we read in verse 11 that he carries us and he cares for us. God needs nobody. And he's got the measure of all of us, too. You know, when we were born, perhaps the midwife smacked us to check we were alive, and we started crying. She put us in some scales, and she wrote on a piece of paper somewhere, seven pounds, three ounces, or whatever you were. That little note, which maybe you still have your birth certificate, is the first written proof that you are not god because you can be measured you can be measured but god is limitless and so these verses here that talk about the nations being as nothing and 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 the lord as it were just looking at everything and seeing us all as dust is first of all a call to surrender if he measures us then we surrender to that measurement. We, we admit, we accept who we are. To know this God who cannot be measured is suddenly to discover who we really are. People today, don't they, struggle with identity. Who am I? Who am I? And of course, there's all kinds of voices saying, almost, you can be what you want to be. You can be who you are. You just need to find yourself. Let me tell you, you don't. You don't need to find yourself. You don't need to stress when all your friends are thinking, well, who am I? Am I this? Am I that? I remember once seeing a cartoon of a, of a man. He said, Bob went on a journey to find himself and sadly discovered that he was an accountant. <laughs> there he is at the Himalayas. What did, I mean, sorry if there's any accountants here. I, I mean, they're great. We, we need them all. It was, a, it was a cartoon but you see and my point is that we find ourselves when we listen to who to listen to what God says about us you're made by this God who cannot be measured he measured you he crafted you you're, you're, you're a man you're a woman you're a boy you're a girl made in the image of God God knows you And so the beginning of wisdom is to say, Lord, I'm going to stop trying to sort of live my life my way and invent myself and be who I want to be and just gladly and willingly surrender to your definition of me. So yes, I'm made in the image of God. But of course God says as well that you're a sinner who needs God to save you. So you're a masterpiece made by God. But you're, you're far from God. These two things go together. The Bible is so honest, so real. And you can find this God. The God who is beyond measure. He measures us. So have you, are you, will you, recognise that you, you define yourself only as God says he measures you and i that's the first thing to note and it's so wonderful to be brought to that point secondly he is beyond compare he delights us now this is in verses 18 to 20 where there's a little diversion almost he says to who then will you liken god and he paints this little picture of people making statues pretend gods to worship which of course in the 21st century we think is ridiculous except that around the world today there are still millions of people deceived by false religions worshipping literal statues however you say people in the west we are beyond such nonsense really everywhere you look there are people worshipping pretend god All of our non-Christian friends, if you're not a believer, you're worshipping something. The thing that gives you hope, meaning, purpose, joy, happiness. The thing that you ultimately need. It might be good things. There might be family, relationships, love. Might be any of those things or more. But God says, well, why are you comparing them to me? As a child, I remember being amazed by something. That if I had about 500 carats, I could buy a diamond. I was amazed that they measured the quality of diamonds in carats. And I thought, this is fantastic. Right. Of course, sadly, I was disappointed. The English language is so treacherous, isn't it? There's more than one carrot. Now, we laugh at that, but of course, that, that's what we do when we substitute the, the beauty and the glory and the majesty of our wonderful God for anything else that actually we trust in when the chips are down, when the crunch comes. The things that we, we don't want to let go of because we need them. Even as believers, we are so prone to, to say, yes, I follow Christ, I believe in Christ, but I just need to make sure that my bank account is so big. Just enough to keep me safe. It's probably less crass than that, isn't it? It's more often the need for approval or the need to be needed or the, the perhaps the desire to, to to have influence. It could be our children or our family. Now, the Lord isn't going to take all these things from us, but are we... Finding our true happiness and meaning in things that really are just gifts and not God. Are we following and trusting in carrots rather than the precious diamond that is the Lord Jesus Christ? What is it that makes you happy? God says, to whom will you compare me? To whom will you liken me? And he he, he sort of paints this funny picture about someone hoping that their little statue won't fall over. You and I need to come to the point, perhaps frequently, where we admit and recognise that only Christ can satisfy me. Only Jesus is the one I need. Nothing else will ever give me the meaning or the significance or the value that Jesus Christ does. And I say this to all of us, but young people in particular as well, there are a thousand things that are offered to you as being the thing you need. And a lot of them are really good. A lot of them are not wrong. They're beautiful, they're attractive, they're funny, they're rewarding. And I would say, yes, you can enjoy the life that God has given you. Christ came that we might have life in all its fullness. But Christ came that we might have life in all its fullness. And so if we have him, then everything else can find its proper place. Without him, you're just eating carrots. And nobody wants to do that, do they? So he is beyond compare. And he should delight us, does he? Thirdly, he is beyond the circle of the earth and he rules us. Slightly different thought here. Verses 21, and you've got these questions and they're said to someone that sort of implies, surely you know the answer. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood? I mean, if your teacher said this or your dad said this or your mum said this to you, you'd think they they were being a bit a bit mean surely you know that all this repetition doesn't that just remind us how quickly we forget god verse 22 sits above the circle of the earth there's a picture there of the throne room of heaven the control room that's where everything is decided And it's God sitting there. That's what this picture is about. He's above the nations. He's above the kings. He's above the rulers. God brings princes to nothing, verse 23. He makes the judges of the earth useless. Oh, princes are real. Human power is real. When the psalmist says, What can man do to me? There's a lot of things that people can do. But God wields the hammer and the sickle. Not Putin. Not any other tyrant. And bring it perhaps in a different context. I remember, was it last year, we watched all these billionaires blasting off into space. Mr. Bezos and Branson and so on. Paying with our unpaid taxes for their lovely spaceships. I wonder, do you think the billionaires rule the world? Or the oligarchs? There's a word we've discovered in the last few months, isn't it? Do they rule the world? Well, they might perhaps think that they can break into God's workshop and tinker around with a hammer. But God owns all the power tools and the furnaces of the universe. And he will bring down his hammer on every anvil. I was amused to hear... They took a retired female astronaut into space last year. And she was on her space flight. She was there to kind of give it kudos and to sort of review it. And afterwards they asked, you know, what was it like? And she said, it was rather disappointing, actually. Oh, dear. Um, There was only a few minutes of weightlessness and the cabin was so cramped that we couldn't all sort of float around at the same time. And I thought, that kind of made me laugh a little bit busting the billionaires bubbles is hmm. so my question is if God is above the circle of the earth and if God is ruling the world why why do we often panic why do we often become anxious why do we often become fearful I mean verse 27 there's the question why do you say Jacob and Israel my way is hidden from the Lord he, Lift up your eyes, says God. Lift up your eyes. Why do you say that God has kind of dropped me or he's not seeing me? That's really what we're saying when we worry, when we're anxious, when we're in despair. Perhaps when our friends are laughing or mocking us for our faith. Perhaps when our boss is asking us to do something that we know that Jesus doesn't want us to do. Perhaps when there's a, there's a decision to be made, it's difficult Why are we afraid? It's because we're not lifting up our eyes and seeing the God who is beyond the circle of the earth. He's ruling. Why do we seek the approval of others? Why do we despair? Isn't it because something else is capturing our vision? And Isaiah is saying, just look up. And again, after verse 28, he says, look, again, in case we haven't got it, haven't you heard You could perhaps write that on your fridge or on your mirror in the bathroom this week. Have you not heard? Ah, yes, right. It's a great memory, reminder. He's beyond the circle of the earth. And then, fourthly, he's beyond the stars. And this is very, very beautiful. He names us. Verses 25 and 26. To whom then will you liken me, or to whom shall I be equal and then he says this, lift up your eyes on high and see who created these things, who brings out their host by number. I think that's referring to the stars in the sky. I think other versions have, the, you know, who brings out the stars on high, like in Genesis 1. Oh, by the way, he made the stars also, Genesis 1, verse 21, I think. And it's a picture there of God naming everything in his universe. He, he calls them all by name. Like calling out these pets almost. Come out, Alpha Centauri. Come out, Betelgeuse. Come out, star number whatever. Halley's Comet, come out. He knows them all by name. But just think for a minute. Why then does God say in verse 27, and why do you think I can't see you, Jacob and Israel? It's, it's surely true that God knows you and he knows me. And here's a wonderful quote. Only an infinite God can give all of himself to each of his children. We've been talking about the, the infinity, the immensity, the, the immeasurability of God. And maybe you think the bigger God is, the further away he becomes. That's how it is in human life, isn't it? You can't get close to big people in this world. But the the reverse is true for God. The greater he is, the closer he is. Only an infinite God can give all of himself to each of his children. The reason why God can know you, brother and sister, the reason why God knows you through and through is because he is infinite. Isn't that comforting? Last, um, Last summer... We enjoyed the Olympics. I've got a, I've got this printed out because I've kept this because I think it's quite helpful. Um, on the BBC website, there was a really positive article about how fantastic Team GB was. Brilliant, 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 and they were singing their praises. But they had this, they had this medal table, and you know how when you see things online, normally when you have a picture, there's there's some sort of you can't read this but there's some sort of uh, little description underneath the image isn't there well listen to this because it doesn't sound quite so positive as the rest of the article was it says here Team GB have finished Tokyo 2020 in their lowest position on the medal table since 2008 okay bear in mind we came fourth out of 200 countries this says the lowest position on the medal table since 2008. Why does it say that? I'll tell you why. Because this was written by a robot. This was written by a bot. It's auto-filled, I'm sure, by some algorithm that sort of worked out, well, what English shall I use? I'll use the word lowest. Aren't you glad the universe isn't run by a, a robot? By a bot, aren't you glad that you are not Christian number seven six four one three two seven slash B? Aren't you glad there is a personal universe? We live in a in a loving universe. We do not live on an insignificant grey speck in the middle of a blackness. God knows you by name. Jesus loves you personally. If you're a believer, the Holy Spirit lives in you and he knows all about you. Only this God can be close to you. So the greater he is, the closer he is. That's why it's so important that we we grasp this. And if you're not a believer yet, what on earth is going to to make you happy like this. And I say, what? What on earth is going to love you like he loves? What on earth is going to give you purpose like he does? Like being made in his image? Notice the pronouns. What? Do you want to live in a universe of what? Or a universe of him? Where are you looking for personal significance but the Lord Jesus Christ beyond the stars he names us so this God said no wonder the chapter begins comfort my people I mean most the first 39 chapters of Isaiah have all been about the people turning away from the Lord and just how rubbish they are how rubbish we often are And then God comes in and says, comfort. How? We find it in him. I'm not going to find comfort in my spiritual performance. How well I preach, how well I pray or don't. How well I love people. How on earth am I going to find real hope in that when I fail so often? And I'm sure you feel the same. This God is the one we need. So to wrap things up, notice then, beyond all understanding. Verse 28. Have you not known? Have you not heard? So this God is infinite. But why? Here's my question to close. What's it all for? Verse 29. He gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. All this infinity is for you and for me. All this majesty and immeasurable glory and wonderful love and beauty is directed towards the people that God loves. To his people. Why, if you like, why is this chapter here? What is the purpose of God it's, it's to lead his people like a shepherd. It's all for God's glory and our joy. It's so that when you walk out of this building today, you can look up, as it were, at an infinite blue sky. And you don't see a random object that's been created through slime and time. Or a bang. You see a world that's made for you. I think these verses at the end, which are often read at funerals, are in many ways Isaiah's um, if you like Isaiah's version of what Jesus said in, in John chapter eleven, when he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Isn't that in a sense what Isaiah is saying? You're gonna get old. You're gonna fail. You're going to fall. Even you young people, you will grow old and die. Unless you die young. But we're all going to fail. Where are we going to go then? Well, we need a, we need a, we need a God who isn't going to fail. And it says those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They'll fly like eagles. They'll run and never be weary. They'll walk And never be faint. I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus said, even though they die, yet shall they live. It's the same. Here's the hope. This is why Christianity matters. Because it's real. And it's the only thing that a dying world can reach for. If you're looking for a birthday present, or you have a gift to buy for somebody, you could buy this. It's a clock. It's called the countdown clock. And you put in your date of birth, and a display comes up, counting down how long you've got left to live. Wow. Thanks a lot. (laughs) But it's probably quite a good uh, time management tool, isn't it? Of course, it's a guess based on average life expectancy but I I, I googled this and did you realise that the average life is only 25,000 days that doesn't sound like a lot it, it sounds a lot more horrendous when I tell you that that's about 4,000 weeks I've already used up about 2,500 of those. it's gone where are we going to go Where are we going to go? Well, we have to go to the everlasting Lord. Only an infinite God can offer us everlasting life through the Saviour who is the same yesterday.